today on It's Time. The Bible tells us that the Antichrist uses this religious system to accomplish his desires. I hear the calling, it's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, he's going verse by verse through the book of Revelation. So turn there in your Bible as we join Pastor Mike. I think what happens here is beyond man's ability to fix this, to control it. Notice he says, now as we go into chapter 17, and this is God's judgment on the world's religious system. Now let's look at this. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, come and I'll show you the judgment of the great harlot who sets on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit. By the way, sometimes you'll find that in the Bible that God carried people away in the spirit. John, when he wrote this book, was also carried away in the spirit as well. Into the wilderness. And I saw a woman setting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones, pearls having her hands with a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, Mother of Harlots and and the Abominations of the Earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Now, this is weird, man. Now, is this a metaphor? Yeah, I'd say so. Last time I checked, last time I'd been to a zoo, I didn't see any creatures with seven heads and ten horns. I'm just sorry I didn't see that. And by the way, if you happen to go to one of those places and you find one of those, tell me it's probably not a metaphor then. When the Bible says it's a metaphor, it is. And as a matter of fact, as we get towards the end of this chapter, it tells you what these things mean. So when it tells you it's a metaphor, it's a metaphor. When the book of Revelation doesn't say it's a metaphor, it is not a metaphor. So when the Bible says you can't buy or sell lest you have the mark, the name, and the number on your hand or on your forehead, that is not a metaphor. That's what it means. It's not worshiping on Sunday. It's not what you think. It's not what you do. It is a mark on your hand or on your forehead, which is a counterfeit of Revelation 7 where God puts his mark on the forehead of the 144,000. Now it says here, Notice it says, this woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Notice he says here, 
and I marveled with great amazement. Now this is weird, friends. Why did he marvel with great amazement concerning this? Because as we read on here, you're going to see that the martyrdom during the time of Paul, as an example, and the time of John came from the Roman government, that you wouldn't confess that Caesar was Lord, you would be executed. But what I believe part of this problem here is, is that his amazement was the martyrdom was coming from what was called a religious system. The religious system was killing people. I would be amazed too. Now as we look at this, it says, but the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and 10 hordes. Now, by the way, here he says, I'll tell you what it means. Yes, it's a metaphor. This is what it means. No problem here. I have no problem with that. Again, be careful when somebody tries twisting the book of Revelation, trying to make the whole book a metaphor. Now, sometimes when things are obvious in the Bible as a metaphor, they are. Jesus said uh, that, that I'll, as an example, um, I am the door. All of a sudden, Jesus now transformed himself into a giant oak door. No, it's a metaphor. It's obvious. And what do you do with the door? You either, it, it, doors do two things. You either walk through them or they keep what's on the other side from coming in. Now, Jesus said, Again, that there are places in the scripture, as an example, where he would demonstrate through metaphors who he was. In fact, sometimes even in the parables, he would do this. But here he says, why did you marvel? And and again, I'll tell you what this means. And so he says, the beast that you saw was, is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and will go into perdition. Now, this is weird. The beast you saw was and is not and will ascend. That means come up. That's kind of strange. What's that mean? Well, you got to remember, as he says here, as we'll we'll read here, he says, uh, is not, will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition, and those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundations of the world when they see the beast that was, is not, and yet is. Sounds almost like the words of a rock and roll song, doesn't it? Well, what does this mean? Here is the mind that has wisdom. The seven heads and are seven mountains on which the woman sets. Many people believe that the Roman Catholic Church has been known, Rome has been known as the seven hills of Rome. Now, there's some discussion. It says here they're mountains. Some people say they're hills. I don't know. These are just, I'm just going to give you several things. And if you want to disagree, that's fine. I think in time, this will all be revealed. But the Bible talks about the city on seven hills. In those days, that was known as Rome. And by the way, in the time of John, it was the central power point of the world, religiously and also uh, uh, Militarily, Rome was the power uh, 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 and, and uh, the, the central point of the world's governing empire. And he says, there are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. Now, what's that? Well, there has been five 
world governing empires. The first one was Egypt. And we remember how powerful Egypt was and became even more powerful when Joseph interpreted a dream for the king. What you saw in your dream, king, you saw five fat cows and you saw seven fat cows and seven skinny cows. That's speaking of the crops. For seven years, you're going to have an abundance of crops followed by seven years of skinny cows the famine. And, the, and, and he goes on and he says, the skinny cows ate up the fat cows and they were still skinny. That's how bad the famine's going to be. And he said, Pharaoh, what you need to do is you need to get somebody appointed over taking care of this. You need to store up your grain. And so when the skinny cows come, you'll have enough. This is where he was in prison. He was brought up because he interpreted the uh, dream of the butler and the baker. And Pharaoh looked at him and says, where can I find someone in which the wisdom of the gods dwell? You be my prime minister. And he went from prison to to third in command over all of Egypt in a day. And sure enough, just as Joseph said, that's exactly what happened. And we remember that in God's divine providence, this is how God preserved the nation of Israel Because when his scraggly brothers who sold him into slavery came and were begging for food, he with all the Egyptian garb on, they didn't know who he was. And so, and he played a little game with them until finally he revealed who he was. But he said, I know now that this is what God allowed to happen for our preservation. What looked like a terrible thing in Joseph's life was the very thing that God used to preserve the nation of Israel. For if Joseph had not been sold into slavery, he would have not ended up in Potiphar's house. Then he would not have ended up in jail where he met the butler and the baker, the right-hand men of, the, of, of Pharaoh, and they wouldn't have known they could interpret dreams, and now all of a sudden he's prime minister over Egypt. First world governing empire. The second was the Babylonian Empire. This is the nation that conquered Israel and held them them off captive. We remember also that there was the Medo-Persian Empire that allowed the rebuilding of the nation of Israel, the temple and all, followed by the Grecian Empire, followed by the Roman Empire. Now he said, and we want to look at this also, he says, five have fallen, one is. What is the one that is? The Roman Empire And then he goes on and he says, one is and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue for a short time. uh, We read about here the Egyptian empire, the uh, Babylonian empire, the the Medo-Persian empire, the Grecian empire, the Roman empire. These lasted hundreds of years, friends. But here it says this last one is going to be a very short stint. And we remember, if you compare this back to Daniel chapter 2, the great image, Nebuchadnezzar goes to bed one night, wakes up in the morning, and he says, uh, I had a dream. I, I don't remember what I dreamed, but it really troubled me, and I want you to tell me what I dreamed, and, and then interpret it for me. And uh, they looked at each other. The, they said, nobody has ever asked this of anyone. You tell us what you dreamed and we'll tell you what it means. And he says, I don't remember what I dreamed. I'm paying you to be smart. And if you can't tell me what I dreamed and what it means, off with your heads. Why are you sitting around here eating food? This is a bike paraphrase, but check it out. Daniel chapter two. And so he got ready to start cutting people's heads off. 
And finally, Daniel got word of it. He went and prayed. God gave him the interpretation, everything. So he said, tell, tell Nebuchadnezzar to cool his jets. I'm coming in. I'll tell him what he dreamed and what it means. Now you got to remember, Daniel's words determined whether the rest of, of all the people, you might say, that were of this group lived or died. And including in that was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew children. But anyway, he goes in and he says, King, what you saw, you saw a head of gold. You saw a statue. And, 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 and this statue had a head of gold, shoulders of silver, a stomach of brass, legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay. He said, you, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. But your empire is going to be replaced by the shoulders of silver, the Medo-Persian empire. Then it's going to be replaced by the stomach of brass, the the Grecian Empire, and then the legs of iron, the Roman Empire, but the last world governing empire is going to be kind of a weird thing. The toes are made of iron and clay. They don't really mingle together. But he said, then a big rock comes out of the mountains and smashes the statue. And the rock grows and takes over the whole world. Well, of course, we know the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. And so he goes, that's exactly what I dreamed. That's exactly what it means. Oh, he says, may the God of your God be praised forever. And then he turns around and builds a statue of gold in a desert, in a plain, where there are no places where rocks can come rolling down. And instead of making it like he saw it in the dream, he makes it all gold so his kingdom would never end theoretically. It is mine. And that's where he commanded everybody to worship the image. And that's when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not going to worship your image. And he brings them in and said, hey, what's this? I hear you're not worshiping my image, Nebuchadnezzar said to these three Hebrew children. How dare you defy me? I'm going to give you one more chance because I kind of like you. And if you'll bow down when the, when the, when the musicians start playing uh, and when the lead guitar hits. No, I'm just kidding. No, when, 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 when they're all worshiping and everything, you worship and then I won't, I won't kill you. And they said, we're not going to worship your statue. You don't have to do that. Well, we, we don't care. They said, is your God able to deliver you from my fiery furnace? And you know, I like what the children of Israel said. They said, you know what? We don't care. If God delivers us or doesn't deliver us, we're not worshiping your stupid statue. Oh, defiance. Nebuchadnezzar was outraged. He said, heat the furnace up seven times hotter than it's ever been. Stoke it up really good and then throw these worthless people into it. And they did that and they brought them down and they got ready to throw them in. And the fire, the Bible says, when they opened the door of the furnace to throw them in, the fire leaped out and burned up his guys that were pitching Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the first killed them. And then they went, others came, shut the door, and Nebuchadnezzar is watching him fry and spit, but then he sees him just walking around in the furnace. This is weird. And he said, I thought I told you to put those three in there. And there's a fourth one in there like the son of God or the son of man. Who's that in there? And so they opened the door and brought Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out. They couldn't find Jesus. And they brought him out. And the Bible says they didn't even smell like they had you ever been around somebody when you go camping at night and you're sitting around the campfire and how campfire, the smoke always follows beauty? Have you ever noticed that? You know, you'll sit one place and the smoke will be in your face and you'll go, oh, I got to move from here. So you go over here and the priest in the smoke is blowing back on you. 
I don't know how that is, but you get up in the morning and you smell like you slept in a fireplace. The Bible says there wasn't even any smell of smoke on these guys. Amazing. And the Bible tells us that Nebuchadnezzar again said, oh, blessed be your God. Your God's the real God. And it wasn't long after that he was back to his old tricks again. I do believe he did repent eventually. But the point is that there was this last world-governing empire, this ten toes mingled with clay. And he says it's not yet, but it's going to come, and it must continue just a short time is all. And the beast that was and is not, he himself also is the eighth of the seven and is going into perdition. I believe this is speaking of the Antichrist that's going to reign over this last world-governing empire. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as of yet, and they've received their authority for one hour as the kings of the beast, kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast, and they will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, for he is the Lord of hosts, king of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. And he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are the people's multitudes and tongues. The ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot and make desolate, make her desolate and will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his purpose to one mind and to give their kingdoms to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman you saw is that great city which sets, which sets over the king's of the earth. Now, what is this? Well, it says it's a mystery. It doesn't say it's Babylon. It says it's a mystery Babylon. It's the religious system. Does it, does it bother you when you see people trying to earn their way to heaven when Jesus offers to give it to them for free? It troubles me. It makes me angry. When I see something as simple as a father-child relationship that God wants to have with you and me, and religion junks it up. Now it's interesting, the Bible tells us that the Antichrist uses this religious system to accomplish his desires. Once it does, he scraps the religious system. This is what he's going to do. He's going to make a universal globalistic religion. It's going to be Chrislam or coexist or whatever you want to call it. Everybody's going to groove together. In fact, many people believe this is one of his great calling cards to be the Antichrist, is signing a peace treaty with Israel, allowing to build their temple on the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem. It's going to be a place of Islam, a place of Christians, and a place of Jews, all of this one Temple Mount. The man of peace has made this all happen. Well, the Bible tells us that uh, this Antichrist uses this religious system he creates, unites the world, then he scraps it, at three and a half years into the tribulation period, and this is where he declares to the world, he's God now, and he must be worshipped. The religious system I made, that was only to get you to hear. Now you're going to worship me. And this is what Satan's always wanted. This is what governments have always wanted. This is what the communist government's about. You worship the government. You worship the state. It will give you everything you need. Some of the sickest things you'll ever see in true communism is where 
they took it. This was, uh, this was in Cuba when Castro took over. Okay, now every, all you kids, they bring the kids out and they line, up, uh, line them up in a line. Now everybody, close your eyes and ask God to give you candy. And the kids do that. There's no candy. And they say, now, all you kids, close your eyes and ask the government to give you candy. And they come along and they pour candy in their little bags. God isn't real, but government is. And this is how they indoctrinate children. How the government will give you everything you need. They never tell you it will take everything you have. And so this is the the great problem. And so they use religion to get what they want, to get people primed, and then the unveiling of what the Antichrist wanted all along, and that was to be worshipped. That's what Satan has always wanted. See, friends, the religious system you read about here, this mystery Babylon woman. She sets on the, there's a source for all these. Do you realize all these roads lead to hell? That's why Jesus said the straight way, the narrow way, few there be that find it. You're, you're blessed. If you know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, your faith is, is in him. You have a relationship with God, not a religion with God. Religion is saying, look what I'm going to do to impress you, God. Jesus Christ says, this is what I did to save you. I died for you. Big difference. God gave all of us something we could never earn. And I love that about God. God always does better. You know, only God could look at all of humankind, see how really messed up we all are, and still say, I love him enough to redeem him. That's pretty good. And that's exactly what God did. This morning, if you're not a Christian, what you're reading here, if you live this long, I believe you'll see this, that we're reading about right here. Every living thing in the sea dies, all these things. This isn't over a period of thousands of years, friend. The Bible says the tribulation period is only seven years long. God deals with his nation of Israel for seven years, and he judges the world for seven years. Where does that leave you today? Now, you can be found, Revelation 4 and 5 in heaven, Or you can be here on this earth and have to die for your faith if you even want to get that far. It's up to you. See, everybody makes a decision where you're going to spend eternity. Everybody living today determines where they're going to spend eternity forever. That's why I want to encourage you this morning, if you've never received Jesus, what he's done for you on the cross, to cause you to escape these things, ask him now in your life. And the Bible says he'll forgive you of your past, and allow you to go to heaven with him when he comes. Not religion, friends, a relationship. Mother of harlots, pure religion. Get out there and earn it. Sell flowers in airports, wear orange, do a lot of religious things, join our club, get sealed in a temple. Uh, 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 All the different things that they do to somehow offer salvation. Nothing you and me could ever do could get us into heaven, nothing. The only thing I can do to go to heaven is say, Jesus, forgive me. I want to be about your business and take me to heaven when you come. That's it. That's great. That isn't religion, friends. That's a relationship. And if you've never had a relationship with God, this morning we're going to pray. And you can ask Jesus to come into your life. You can ask him to forgive you. Notice, remember, Jesus said that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. Things we're reading about. How would I be counted worthy? Because my worthiness is not in me. My worthiness is in him. 
And his worthiness in me is what causes me. Notice he says, those names that were not written in the book of life. I pray today, your name is written in the book of life. This morning, if you've never prayed and asked Jesus to come into your life, or you've been playing on the wrong side of the fence, I wanna invite you to ask Jesus to come into your life today. Begins with the prayer, but God will show you your whole life is goodness. If you've never prayed, let's pray right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I want to be counted worthy to escape all these things. But my worthiness must be in you. And so I receive, Jesus, what you did for me on the cross. You took away my sins. And so now from this day forward, I want to live for you. I want to be about your business. And I want you to help me every day. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. And Lord, I trust my life into your hands right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.